0: Pastor John asked me to speak tonight, and uh, so I thought I'd bring a little heresy to the church while he's gone. He's sick, and uh, uh, he had to go home early tonight, and I told him that was okay. I didn't need a fact checker in here when I'm talking anyway. Make me make me even more nervous uh, than I am. Um, makes me nervous to think that you're used to listening to... Uh, the gateway guy, and, and uh, then you have to put up with this. But anyway, I'm going to do something that's a little different tonight. I hope it doesn't bore you. It's a little technical. It blesses me. I heard it years ago. First of all, I want to tell you that uh, I'm a plagiarist. I get my stuff from other people. I, uh, I don't have a lot of original thoughts, and so uh, if you've happened to heard this before, uh, don't tell anybody else. Okay? But Anyway, if, if you were an academic and you were in the, uh, theological school, if you were in seminary, uh, you might take a class on systematic theology Where by you gather information in the Bible You gather truths in the Bible And you systematically arrange those in a fashion That you can derive the plan of God What is God doing? The beginning to the end We know that he, he uh, What happened in the beginning We had the fall And then we have all of these things These instructional stories and narratives through the Old Testament Where um, uh, God reveals himself through the lives of real people And he does that through ceremonies. He does it through the patriarchs. And he does it uh, through the nation of Israel. And we see his work. And we know that his people reject him. He, as a byproduct of that, brings the Gentiles in. And then, in Revelation, we see that he grafts them back into their own native tree. What's going on? What's he doing? What's it about? And so if you were a systematic theology student, you would take classes in these different disciplines Uh, concerning the Bible you would take a class in theology proper whereby you would study the disciplines and the uh, the science of God himself Uh, if you took a class or a uh, section of this class in Christology that would be about Jesus Christ So you have a Satanology you have ecclesiology the study of the church you have pneumatology the study of the Holy Spirit you have uh, soteriology the study of salvation Uh, you have anthropology the study of man which honestly ought to be the thing that you study before we're going to, what we're going to talk about tonight. I can't get a lot of this in in this time frame, but the first time I heard a sermon on this, it was the most electrifying thing in my life. It was the most, and, and even though it's academic and it's a scholastic type thing, and it's not a bunch of uh, uh, inspirational things, the inside, as I will uncover for you tonight, the beauty of the different facets And in the spectrum of salvation and what it entails, what it means, and what God's done, what he has done on your behalf. We all have this southern notion of, well, I got saved and I asked Jesus into my heart and he saved me and I'm a Christian. And that's all well and good and it works. But that's the equivalent of saying to an astrophysicist, I'm going to explain to you what I know about that. And you start saying, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Okay? It's not the same. If I go outside with an astrophysicist and we're walking around and I say, man, look, the stars sure are out tonight. Look at all them stars. Look at them twinkle. He's probably going to sit there and think, you know, you don't know much about this, do you? I can tell you don't know much. We all have a cursory knowledge, most people, of salvation and what it entails. But I want to get into a little bit more of it. Uh, there's a little a funny little story that I heard, uh, along with one of these sermons, about a group of people that were getting together, and they were putting a uh, pastor in place. They were interviewing uh, for their new pastor, and they uh, brought him in. He was a young fellow, and they were a little suspicious of him being so young, so they asked him, what do you know about the Bible? Do you know the New Testament? Do you know the Old He said, I- I'm pretty good on the New Testament. I know a lot about it. And so he says, well, tell us something about it. He said, well, what do you want to know? He said, well, tell us the story about the prodigal son. How many have heard this? Yeah, good, well, be real quiet. No punchlines, spoilers. He said, so the young minister said, yeah, I'll do it. He said, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who went down to Jericho by night and he fell upon stony ground and the thorns choked him half to death. The next morning, Solomon and his wife, Gomorrah, came by, carried him down to the ark for Moses to take care of. But as he was going through the eastern gate into the ark, he caught his hair in a limb and he hung there for 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> And afterwards did hunger, and the ravens came and fed him. The next day, three wise men came and carried him down to the boat dock, and he caught a ship to Nineveh. And when he got there, he found Delilah sitting on the wall. And he said, Chunk her down, boys, chunk her down. And they said, How many times shall we chunk her down till seven times seven? And he said, Nay, but seventy times seven. And they chunked her down four hundred and ninety times. And she burst asunder in their midst, and they picked up 12 baskets of the leftovers. <laughs> and in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? So, the committee looked at each other, and one guy said, what do you think? He said, well, I don't know, he's awful young, but he sure does not know his Bible. <laughs> How many of you are like that? You have a history of... You know the stories. You know Jonah and the whale. You know Noah and the ark. You know Daniel and the lion's then You know bits and pieces. You know Jesus. You, all the stories, they resonate. They're, they're recognizable to you. But you don't have a continuum in your head, the narrative of the beginning to the end and God's unfolding plan and what he was doing, why he did it. And so we're going to study one of those disciplines today. And I'll bet you you like it. I'll just bet you do. Okay? And we're going to study... The, the, ob, the, the topic of soteriology. If I were to ask you to stand up and tell me what you know about soteriology, how many of you would be in trouble? I bet you would. And I would have, too. And some of these things I'm going to talk to you about, I have not settled in myself. But I'll tell you the things that we know for sure, and uh, we'll get on to it. So soteriology is the Greek word, from the Greek word sotir, which means to smear to cover that's the same word that they used on Noah's ark uh, when they talked about him putting pitch on the outside and what it means is how can in terms of salvation how can a God a holy God allow a sinner to stand before him in his presence to approach him and God not compromise who he is if God is holy and you have to be righteous to dwell with God how do you do that and God not compromise who he is how are you able to stand there and what are the procedures Christianity is the only number one it's the oldest religion in the world no matter who comes up to you and says well the Chinese had this and and that goes way back before Christ and whatever it goes back to Adam it's the oldest religion in the world and only in Christianity and here's why we're different from everybody else nobody is like us here's why. there's no other religion that depicts salvation in the passive voice where man is unable to save himself and he would never come up with this idea he's unable to save himself and he has to depend upon a deity to do it for him in hinduism there's no evil they don't they don't discuss evil evil is an illusion it's what they call maya that matter in the universe uh, uh, is detrimental to a person and so they do away with the notion of evil at all uh, in dualism and in, in Zoroastrianism, you have the notion of a good and evil force it's kind of like Star Wars you have the good side and the dark side but there's no salvific act to that because there's no deity behind it to direct it okay? so they don't have a solution for this evil force Islam they depend on a ladder to heaven that they just try to attain their own morality through a moral wrung uh, one after another they pull them up by their own bootstraps and there's no standard where they're judged they don't know the standard whereby they're judged and so they live their life they hope they make it and they're going to depend on the mercies of Allah when they get there hoping to have appeased them in their life by some kind of mayhem and destruction obviously Buddhism it's kind of like Hinduism kind of the same they do recognize evil uh, but they think that evil comes from man's desire, so they got that part kind of right. But their solution for that is to not uh, uh, talk about, or, or, or to uh, entertain the notion of a savior. Their solution is to get themselves in a state of, uh, of denial, whereby you uh, you deny your state of desire. You, you try to alienate. Uh, that state of desire from your personality by concentration, by um, uh, what they call nirvana or nothingness. You just you meditate and uh, try to get rid of that. Liberal Christianity is like a Christianity light, where they've taken like a taxidermist would the viscera out of the of the body, and they've they've taken all the guts and the meaning out of Christianity, and they've just left it with a husk or uh, a corpse, and and. Uh, they don't entertain the notion of a savior because there is no hell. There's nothing to be saved from. Jesus has been reduced to an example, someone that uh, an inspiration, that someone that was a good person, and that when we're teaching our kids, we say we want you to be good. Nobody exemplifies good like Christ. You be good, you be like Christ. Okay. Jesus is more than that, and we're gonna we're gonna dig into this. So salvation is God's plan for man. It's the grand theme of the Bible. This library—I um, gotta get some water. Hang on. We have a library of 66 books, 40 authors over 1,500 years. Uh, I think it started in about 15, 1450 BC to 100 AD. And the miracle about this one book—the thing that validates it as being true—is the fact that it has a current, uh, uh, cohesive thing. That they all agree. Everything points together and it fits to make this one plan. And man could not and would not come up with a system like this. Where he is lost and condemned. Every other religion, you attain your righteousness and your moral attainment through your own works. I'm just trying to please God. Good versus bad. But man will not come up with a system where he's lost and condemned. Every other religion, man is the hero. Our religion, righteousness is at filthy rags, and a personal infinite being has to quicken your soul, open your heart to the gospel, make you aware of your own sin, and bring you not to moral attainment, but to a cross. And where salvation is not earned, but it's given as a gift. Nobody else that does that. We're separate from those folks. Most churches today, when you go there, I think—not that's not true. That's not true. But a lot of churches, mainstream, mega churches, their goal is to get you to feel good, and it's a lot of inspiration. It's a lot of uh, "go get them, you can do it, uh, you, uh, God loves you, you can go out there and you can conquer the world, and there's secrets of success inside of you if you'll just let them come out." And and this won't be one of those uh, lessons. We're not going to do that tonight. Um, You might want one of those after we're over. Um, I'm going to beat you up a little bit, and then I'm going to fix it at the end. Okay? So just hang on. Man would not come up with a system that he was described as totally depraved. Dead in his sins and dead in his trespasses. And that he would receive the grace and imputation and righteousness of a deity who's only free to do so by the death of his own son. Nobody comes up with that on their own. The Bible goes to great lengths to tell us how rotten we are. And I'm going to tell you about that right now, okay? That would be the study of anthropology, where we studied about man. In, in Adam, we all sinned. The Puritans had something they called imputed demerit. In other words, when we were born under Adam, we were born into sin. We all believe that. Uh, that the traits like, that you would pass down to your own kids... Um, <laughs> Uh, The attributes you would pass down to your descendants we inherit that from Adam because we were from him he is our ancestor and so when we are born under him we are born with his attributes conversely later on tonight's message when we are born again you are blessed with the heavenly attributes of your father praise God So we have this imputed demerit. We're born in sin. Not only are we lost, we're insulted by the notion that we need a Savior in the first place. Let me tell you what the Bible, whether you believe it or not, or whether you believe people are basically good, let me tell you what the Bible says about that. The Bible says, Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, You are of your father the devil, and the works of your father you will do. David said this, well, i tell you what, there are all kinds of scriptures where it says you've all gone astray. None are righteous, no, not one. No one seeketh after God. No one doeth good. All have come short. We've all heard those, right? They're talking about us prior to our conversion. David said you are conceived in sin, brought forth in iniquity, and go astray from the womb. How are you feeling about yourself right now? In the 4th century, the church was going on for a few hundred years. In the 4th century, heresy enters the church through a guy named Pelagius. And you have a Pelagian theory of salvation. And this heresy stated, he was, he was a, a, an influential guy. He was an asceticist, which means he, uh, uh, he would attain his salvation through the denial of pleasure. That was his, that was his uh, saying. And he said that man, his, his view of Adam was that man was not... Lost, or at at the uh, Adam, that there wasn't a fall of man, and he wasn't even wounded, but that man was perfectly capable of choosing to do righteous; that there was no sin in his heart. He wasn't born in that, and uh, uh, you you would you would attain this through your own efforts. You lift uh, yourself up by your own bootstraps. Doctrinal positions usually come in the church. Well, you have all these doctrines and, and denominations that divide uh, Christians, uh, not, not along es- uh, essential things usually, but along uh, nitpicky things and minor things. You know, you feel comfortable raising your hands or you don't. That's not a heaven and hell issue. We have different churches that, that feel comfortable with different things. But serious division and heresy uh, come into the church sometime, and doctrine is formed or staked out in the vortex of... Uh, rebellion and in heresy and this comes into the church so doctrinal issues are staked out so when this guy comes along and says hey we can do it on our own we don't have uh, the need the help a deity we don't I don't believe in uh, that we're born into sin Then they have a guy named Augustine that comes in and this is in the uh, fourth century when this happened and he comes in and he says that man was not weakened at the fall but he was in fact dead and not only was he dead, and this is scriptural, he was an enemy of God. And he would never choose to do good on his own. That he would need a Savior, and that God would have to quicken him to his need for a Savior. Okay? He would have to show them their, win, uh, their sin and get them downwind to their own rottenness. That's what happens, and I'll bring this up again later, I'm sure, but when you hear the, 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 the song Amazing Grace. By the way, it is, and you're going to know in just a few minutes, it's amazing grace. It's amazing grace. It was grace that taught your heart to fear. I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I can't help it. Christian, I say this in this room all the time on Wednesday nights. Christianity is not reserved for the most intuitive, smart, intelligent, insightful people. God got a hold of you. You didn't come up with this. You didn't think of this. God pulled on your heart. He lets you know you needed a Savior. He lets you know you couldn't do it. And you said, yeah, but I had faith in him. He gave you the faith. Faith is a gift from God. He gave you that too. Praise God. He's a good God, isn't he? So this happens, and he stakes out this position, and he said, man is not just... He's dead in the water. He's face down. It's, a, it's not a synergistic effort whereby two people are collaborating, like us and God, on this Christianity thing. It's a sole act of God. Okay? That's his position. Now, in the 1400s, or the medieval times, you start to have um, this synergistic approach creep back into the church. And the church falls into um, a, a time where man was trying to, and this still happens, man's trying to affect his own salvation through sacraments and uh, paying penance, and uh, buying indulgences. In other words, you're you're paying for this stuff, and, and, and there was uh, corruption. And the Reformation, what we all heard of, where Martin Luther nails the thesis on the wall, that was just a return 1,200 years back to Augustine. Really, Luther and Calvin really didn't come up with anything new. They just go back and they rediscover Augustine uh, back in the 4th century, and they... they uh, and so there was a, a revival of sorts there. So you have a, a, a Pelagian theory that says it's totally a work of man, and then you have the Augustinian theory, which says it's solely a work of God. And then you have a guy named Jacob Arminius come in uh, the 1600s, and he said that man was not. T- and it's kind of a, a nuance here, but he said man's not totally dead. He has a divine spark in him, and he is free to choose He's free will. He can choose Christ. And if he does, and he has the wherewithal to summon up himself and choose Christ, then Christ would in return declare him righteous. So, we have these three things, and uh, I'm going to show you why grace is amazing. 90% of the world is pelagian. That you do it by your own efforts. You ask the run-of-the-mill people, not, not this crowd, not... A Wednesday night crowd for sure but you ask the run-of-the-mill people how are you safe what makes you think you're going to go to heaven and we talk about this all the time in this church if God says why do you get to heaven what do you say most people will say because I'm a good guy I've done good I've done better than most and they grade themselves on their own curve they don't know what the standard is and they just assume the best thing about their own self and, and, and essentially nobody goes to hell if you go to a funeral of an unsafe you never let's, let's just look at a celebrity funeral you never hear them say I'm kind of scared I love this guy I, I don't ever remember him talking about the Lord I don't ever remember him talking about his profession of faith I don't ever remember I'm scared for him I'm scared for his family they're gonna be haunted you never hear that they're in heaven if it's a professional baseball player, I'm sure he's up there hitting the home runs, or if it's a piano player, I bet he's tickling the ivories for Jesus. G- they never think about the alternative that narrows the gate. They never think about it. You just assume not, 90% of the world's Pelagian. Everybody thinks the good outweighs the bad to go to heaven. And who judges the good? They judge their own good. If you do that, you're in trouble. You've got trouble on your hands. If you approach God by your own righteousness and in your own works, you've got trouble coming. Okay? So, the Bible says that we did not choose God. You cannot choose this on your own. You have to be drawn. There has to be something quickened in you that resonates and lets you know, hey, I've got something missing in my life. The Bible says we did not choose him, that he chose us. He says no one comes to the Father except through me. But he said, now listen, this is important. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. You're not doing that on your own. All the Father has given me will come to me. The Father gave them to him. No one knows the Father except the Son and whoever the Son is pleased to reveal him to. It sounds kind of like some people aren't being chosen. It's a legitimate point. I'll, 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 um, I think I've got a loophole on that one. Anyway, I'm just playing. Blessed are you, Simon. Now listen to this. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood did not show you who I am, but my Father in Heaven showed you. You didn't figure that out. God showed you. Flesh and blood didn't do that. Flesh and blood didn't introduce you to me. My father showed you who I was. Okay? He told Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. I'm choosing. All right? He chose you. Hey, thank God. Let me tell you. He chose you. If you're worried about that, he chose you. If you're saved, you were chosen or you wouldn't be here. If there's anybody in this audience that they don't know, if you're not saved, if you don't know if you're saved, you need to... uh, you need to hang on to the end of this and we're going to get you (laughs) he did it because of his sovereign gratuitous will he did it because it pleased him and nothing in you evoked that from him he did it because he wanted to why does he do it? the bible doesn't say it just says that he loved you with a peculiar love he loved you from eternity I don't know why but he did, praise God so what's the mechanism? I am not tracking. Oh yeah, I tell you what. No, I'm not tracking good. My watch is stopped. It's a brand new watch. I got that for Christmas. I'm gonna I'm gonna quit I'm gonna quit looking at that. You gotta hang with me. This is good stuff. I'm gonna give you some good stuff. How can a man be saved? What's the mechanism? Let me give you some background. Proverbs twenty four says that it is an abomination to say to the wicked that you're righteous. It's an abomination. He said, that whoever says to the wicked that you are righteous will be cursed by prophets, I'm sorry, peoples, and abhorred by the nations. It's an abomination for a man to do this, let alone God. Let alone God. So how would a holy God declare you righteous and him still be holy? How can he declare the wicked righteous? There's a mechanism for salvation, and I'm going to give you some beautiful words, some beautiful concepts, and we're not going to get out here until about 10 after 8. Okay, so just adjust your thinking and your bathroom breaks and your food thing and all that work. The first word, I'm going to give you six or seven words. They're beautiful words and they are all the mechanisms of salvation. We don't just get saved. It is that simple to receive but it's more complex. It's, it's complex and it's, it's, it's beautiful. Atonement is one of those. The word at one meet, atonement. We've heard most of these words. We've heard them all, I guess. When people who were enemies are brought together uh, the word "kapur" uh, uh, means to smear. I said smear earlier. I messed that up. It was to save. Soteriology was to save. Kapur atonement is to smear. It's the covering, and they use that for the ark. Uh, I got that. I got that backwards a while ago. Uh, you see a pictorial in the Bible of the covering of sin. You see it uh, with Adam's sin, where innocent animals were used to cover him. You see it uh, in the sin offering in the Passover and uh it doesn't take away uh sin but it's a picture of one who would later come to it Uh, we have these emblematic uh depictions of what things are going to be like in the old testament honestly i don't see how anybody misses uh it with regards as to whether it's christ or not there's a lot of signs pointing that way the word propitiation means to satisfy the wrath of a deity to satisfy the wrath of god if anybody is ever wondered what do we saved from? I'm saved. Save what? What's saved? Save from what? You're saved from Him. You're saved from His wrath because God does not just overlook sin; He deals with it. He, He, His Son bore it away. He deals with it. It has to be paid for, or He is not just. Holiness and just go ahead. God is just, so He deals with sin. Um, so that those those uh, ceremonies and that kind of thing. They, they, uh, they are a facsimile of what's to come, but uh, uh, when Jesus came, there was no need for that. Propitiation, you satisfy the wrath of uh, a God, and nothing makes liberals more mad than to, for, to, to describe God as someone who must have death for sin. That sin must be repaid with death. And they say, well, what makes him different from King Kong? King Kong's got to have death. And, and the answer is, King Kong was hungry. God is holy. God is holy. There was a, a, a humanist named Erasmus that asked Martin Luther one time, why do you believe in a God? Why do you have to believe in a God that demands blood sacrifice in order to forgive? And Martin Luther said, methinks you make God too human. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's a misplaced notion in the world and in our culture. I'm talking faster than I'd like to, but I've got to get this down. There's a misplaced notion that the Ten Commandments are what is needed. The obedience of the Ten Ten Commandments are what is needed in order to um, attain our own morality. And, And we like the Ten Commandments. We want them on the courthouse. Uh, and we want them uh, in the uh, schools and we, we, we decry the fact that they took them out of the schools and that kind of thing. But if that were the case, if you could, through your own efforts, attain your own morality by the Ten Commandments, then Exodus uh, would have been at the end of our Bible. Okay? We wouldn't have had Leviticus. We wouldn't have had another 600 laws uh, put on there behind that. The Old Testament people, if anybody was not under that assumption, it was Old Testament Israel. They knew their theology. They knew anthropology. They knew theology proper. They knew redemption. They knew what it meant. And you could ask a 12-year-old boy back then, tell us about God. What do you know about God? What do you know about the priesthood? What do you know about God? And this is under the category of propitiation again. That you have, his wrath has to, his, he has to be avenged for, for uh, sin. And a 12-year-old boy would tell you, you better not approach God or you'll die. You better not approach God or you'll die. You have to have a mediator. You have to be have someone between you you have to have a high priest that uh, he, he wears this garb and he's got two stones on his shoulders and it it has the names of the tribes of Israel on those stones and he's got 12 stones around his heart and he wears this stuff he's got a medallion on and he once a year goes into the holy of holies holiest of holies and he goes in there and he takes the blood of an innocent victim and he goes in and he goes to the Ark of the Covenant and he sprinkles that blood on top of that ark that contains the broken ten commandments and that God would look down on his violated law and his wrath would be stopped when he sees the blood on top of that thing does that sound familiar does that resonate Do you under, did you get the parallel and his wrath would be assaged for another year until the one that would finally come that would bore it all away This is a wonderful verse, I'm going to tell you, I'll read to you. And I'm going to, I'm going to say it with your name in it. Romans 3, 25 and 26. God set forth Christ. Now listen, this is really, you've got to hang in. God set forth Christ to be a propitiation through your faith in His blood and declares you righteous for the remission of your sins that are past through the forbearance or the patience of God that he, God we're talking about God here that God might be just remember I asked you earlier how can God be holy and let somebody that's not holy in his presence how does he let you wicked people you sinners into his presence and him not compromise who he is how does he do that right here he said that he got, this is through the faith in Christ he, he puts forth Christ as a propitiation to satisfy his wrath and he said he does that that God might be just and the justifier of those who believe in His Son, Christ Jesus. Not only is He just, it gives Him the authority legally to justify you and those who believe in His Son, Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Redemption. I've been redeemed. We sing that. Agorazo. To buy in the marketplace. To repurchase. uh, It denotes deliverance and rescue. What did he pay when he did that? He paid a ransom. The Bible says the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He's not just a martyr who moves us to good works because he died for what he believed in, so we ought to do the same thing. He is the sin payment. His body and his uh, was broken, his blood was spilled. A picture of that is, is, is and this is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I keep telling you how wonderful the things I'm going to say are. They may not get to you at all. but li- this is, It's really rich to me. It was a titillating, scintillating, I don't know, uh, experience for me to listen to this kind of thing for the first time. Um, you, you, uh, when you want to return something, like my watch, you want to take something back. Uh, somebody gave you a gift and you want to um, um, return something. You need proof of payment when you do that. You need a receipt. So you go there and they say what is your legal document What do you have That shows that you have Purchased this in the first place That's going to happen to you one day You're going to go to heaven Or you're going to meet God one day And he's going to say I need your proof of purchase I have a warrant out for your arrest You're guilty What is your proof of redemption What does that happen I I want to put me in this Colossians 2.13 said, he quickened me, God, he quickened me together with him, having forgiven me from all of my trespasses, blotting out the ordinances, the warrant for my arrest, the lawsuit against me. He blotted out those ordinances and nailed them to the cross. The next verse said he spoiled the principality and powers and made a show of them openly. In other words, he spiked the football and did a victory dance after he did it. Praise God. And then when that happens, you're going to do this too. Why should I let you in? You're going to point to what the Bible calls the lamb standing as if slain. The mediator between God and the church. That's your hope. That's how you get in. Praise God. Another another, uh, reconciliation. You've heard that word. You're not only forgiven, but you're returned to a state as though you had never sinned. Wonderful. The prodigal son said, I will go and return to my father and I'll say, I have sinned. Would you let me back? And he expects a mediated position whereby his father uh, puts him somewhere between uh, condemnation and maybe acceptance and he's on the fringe of his family. He's fully restored. Full rights of sonship and daughtership take you all the way back. Imputation. It's my favorite one here. The imputation of his righteousness means you have been reckoned righteous or you have been justified. You have been declared righteous as though you had done nothing wrong and everything right. The imputation of the righteousness you receive is from Christ. You are judged by his righteousness and not your own. Oh, that's good. He, you're judged by him as though you had done what he did. My favorite example of that, and I use it all the time. I've used it in my Sunday school class. I've used it in here before. I had a joint checking account when my kids were in college with my kids, and they could call me up sometime, and they could say, Dad, Heavenly Father, Prosperous Father, Oh, Heavenly Father, would you give me some of your money and put it in my account? Would you get the money that you earned? Would you get the money that you worked hard for and would you sacrifice that and give it to me as though I had earned it? And once that money was in their account, they could act on that account. They could act on that money, and they did. They could act on that as though they had earned it themselves. It was as though they had done it. You have been justified in Christ as though you had done it yourself. How can that be possible? In 1865 a doctor was arrested he, 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 uh, he set a man's <laughs> broken leg who had just caught his spur in an American flag jumping over a balcony after he had assassinated the president his name was Samuel Mudd and in an effort to propitiate the wrath of the north uh, they rounded up a bunch of folks and they arrested them and they hung several and he missed hanging by one vote in a jury and uh over successive presidents. Uh, they, they felt guilty about this, I guess, and they wanted to give him a pardon, and he would not take it. matter of fact, this guy, Samuel Mudd, he was a, I don't know if you remember Roger Mudd, the newscaster, but he was a uh, ancestor of his. But he wouldn't take the pardon, because a pardon implies guilt, that you're just forgiving me. I didn't do it. I didn't do anything. I'm a doctor. A guy knocks on my door in the middle of the night. I set his leg and he wouldn't take the part. He finally gets out later, and they, they, um, they, um, they kept appealing this and, 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 and made a campaign out, getting him exonerated, and finally it happened. Uh, Jimmy Carter did that, 1976. Just a, uh, an interesting thing. He wanted to be declared righteous, and that's what's happened to you. Another uh, word that we can talk about is substitution. The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus God laid upon him as your substitute the iniquity of us all God struck him instead of you isn't that great isn't that rich next time somebody says well I got saved well rejoice but there's more to it we'll know from now on won't we there's more to this salvation squares up it's not mushy it's not iffy. It's not vague. It's legal. It's judicial. It's architectural. It's geometrical. It fits. It's a legal decree. You've been saved. You've been saved. It's wonderful. How does he do it? There's another word, regeneration. The reanimation of dead flesh. That's neat, isn't it? You are dead in your sins and your trespasses. You're alive, being reborn. Praise God. It's not a resuscitation it's not being revived you were reborn praise God how am I saved let's review through the propitiation of his wrath through redemption by the ransom of Christ as a substitute for me by the imputation of his righteousness I am regenerated and brought to life justified, and reconciliated. How about that? Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. No man can make this up. Nobody do that. Paul didn't come up with this. You can go back to the Old Testament, and you can see that borne out in the lives of, i said this before, but but, uh, Moses and David. You can go to Jacob. You can go to Joseph. You can go to Isaac. You can go to Noah. Adam, the sin covering. right Right at the front of the Bible all pointing in big neon lights to the one who was to come that bore your sin away. Am I saved? If you're out here tonight and you're asking yourself, am I saved? If you're a Pelagian, if you're a works-oriented person and you think that you're going to get there by your own righteousness, the most arrogant thing you could say is that you're going to go to heaven. standard are you using if it's a standard of perfection you're in trouble and that's what God requires fortunately for you he lets you use the righteousness of his son as he evaluates your worthiness to be in his presence he says if anyone comes to me I in no wise cast him out I'm not willing that any should perish the chosen thing I was talking about did he choose me did he choose me He's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. He says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, let him who is thirsty, come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever. Here's how it looks in your life. He lured you. He wooed you. He taught your heart to fear. He opened your mind to the gospel. And when you heard it, something clicked. And God convicted you of your sin... He made aware of justice and you admit things about yourself that you would not want to admit. You hear it and it resonates. It means something to you. The Bible said that Lydia's heart was opened by the things spoken of Paul. Nick, are you here? Oh, there you are. Why don't you start playing? We're, gonna, we're fixing to wind this down. You can't stand before God and be qualified by your own righteousness. You need a Savior. And I'm assuming that most of us all here tonight are. But what if you're here tonight and you say, did God choose me? Am I I chosen? Well, let me ask you a question when I was talking about this, when I was laying out salvation in all of its facets and all of its forms, did any of that tug on your heart? Did it resonate with you? The Bible calls what we do to the unsaved foolishness. That you would preach, that you would talk about these things, you would talk to other people about these things. But to the unsaved, this is foolish. but but maybe it wasn't foolish to you. Is God calling you? You only need to answer the door. There are implications about this. If I'm a Christian, there are things that follow. But right now, at this point, at this juncture, is God tugging at your heart? bow your heads with me just for a minute I would hate the thought that someone would come in here without Christ and after hearing this and knowing what this expensive price that was paid on your behalf you wonder am I chosen? did God choose me? did he love me from eternity? here's a test is your heart moved? do you feel this? do you feel a tug? If you do, you have been chosen. He's calling you. He doesn't care about your past. He's knocking at your door and you just open it. That's about all you have to offer. Not by your works of righteousness, but by His. I'm praying that God will stir someone's heart if you're not sure. I promise you, let me, let me. The whole thing about doubting your salvation, if your salvation is based on God's work, it's kind of an insult to doubt it. If it's based on yours, I promise you, you have trouble. And I would love for you to leave here with Christ in your heart, and that He would give you a new life, and He would cause the occasion of you coming here on a Wednesday night. To be the start of a new life for you. If you bow your head, and I'll just ask this one time, if there's anybody in here that says, hey, I need to get this fixed. I want in. I can't get there on my own. I know I can't do it. I need a Savior. I need someone to rescue me. I need to be ransomed. If you would raise your hand, we would love to pray for you tonight before you leave. Is there anybody? There may not be. There may be all Christians here. But if there's anybody here that would respond to that and say, I need prayer, we would love to do that. Okay. Well, praise God. I appreciate you listening to all that. It's technical. It's kind of a lot of information to swallow, but I appreciate you putting up with it. I'm so glad it's over. Woo. Man, thinking about this for the last five days appreciate you saying that. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your blessings. You're good to us. Father, we just thank you for the, the word, what it means to us, and we know what you did now. We know the terrific and precious price you paid to quicken us and awaken us from our dead uh, state, Lord, and that you would revive us, that you loved us you've adopted us into your family you've made us sons and daughters Father we thank you for that we ask that you would do what you've told us to do that you would help us do that and that is to live in a manner worthy of our calling that we would not disappoint you Lord that we would live in a life that's characteristic of what a Christian ought to be soldiers in your kingdom lord that we would go out and we would pick up our cross and we would uh, carry it we would follow you Lord and let you run our lives and let's not try to run them ourselves bless my friends tonight Lord be with them on the way home keep them safe let them have a good rest of the week bless the homes the families they represent and we sure do love you don't we? in Jesus name amen